welcome. You're listening to the first episode of Talking Drum, Konjol's limited podcast series, where we explore the aesthetic and affective links in Africa's musical echo chamber through conversations with practitioners across the continent and the diaspora. My name is Zara Julius, Konjol founder and your host for this season. In today's episode, I speak with Adam Cooper, a designer, DJ, promoter, and general MacGyver hailing from the Twin Island Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. Adam and I first met when we both went to Havana, Cuba a few years ago to play a gig, which subsequently got cancelled upon our arrival um, due to the president of Vietnam dying and Cuba's internationalist policies. Um, you know, they declared like a 48 hours of um, national mourning. So we just had a weekend running around Havana together with a few other friends. In today's episode, I chat with Adam, who's currently based in L.A., um, as he shares with us a journey into some of the core values of carnival culture in Trinidad and the spirit of black rebellion. So let's get into it. Talking drum with Adam Cooper. First of all, welcome and thank you so much for being receptive to jumping on the Conjure Talking Drum podcast. Um, of course. I wonder if you don't mind like introducing yourself and kind of giving a bit of a, um, a yeah, like a little sneak peek on like what your story is um, or has been up until this point. Sure. Well, um, my name is Adam Cooper. Uh, most people know me by my DJ slash stage name, Foreigner. Um, you know, on the surface, I'm a DJ, uh, you know, event producer in Los Angeles, focusing on, quote unquote, Pan-African experiences, you know. Uh, lately, I threw the, 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 the script of cinematic Pan-African experiences because, you know, a city like Los Angeles, um, the, 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 the black immigrant community here is, is not necessarily the same as the black immigrant community on the east coast of the U.S., which is, you know, quite diverse when it comes to the African diaspora. In New York, you have every Afro-descendant walk of life you can imagine, while in Los Angeles, you know, there's a severe absence of Caribbean people, um, you know, there's a lot of West African people here and quite a bit of East African people here, but it's still a minority. You know, the black experience in LA is an American, an African-American experience. So my hope, my approach to events here have really focused on trying to bring a, a cinematic feel to it to really paint the context of the music and the culture that I'm trying to bring to the city, which is predominantly my culture as a as a Trinidadian and an Afro-Trinidadian man, um, trying to bring soca and carnival and just raw Caribbean vibes and the spirit of, of um, liberation, which is what Caribbean rhythm is all about, bring that to LA in a way that is universally understood and um, you know something that empowers those of us in that community here as well. You know. Um, in addition to doing the events and DJ and DJing, I'm a designer. Um, all of the graphic design and the branding work that you see coming out of the, the quote-unquote foreigner brand is stuff that I do myself. And as of late, with Corona ruining and kind of shuttering 
all event production and DJing operations worldwide, I've really pivoted to, um, you know, naturally pivoted to filmmaking, uh, video production, trying to bring that same cultural Pan-Africanist programming that I would do with dance events, with dance parties, to, uh, you know, content and live streams and, and things of that nature. You know, so, so your kind of trajectory to getting to LA is an interesting one. Um, I wonder if you don't mind kind of just giving us, because you were born in Trinidad and Tobago and then you moved to, um, to Venezuela. And my assumption is that that's kind of influences part of where your moniker kind of comes from, using the word foreigner. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I was born in Trinidad, uh, moved to Venezuela in the early 90s, um, spent like, a good chunk of my childhood there. And um, like you said, uh, being a, a black family in a city like Caracas, you're an outlier. You're an outsider. You know, of course, there's the exoticization of black women, which, you know, my mom used to her advantage as well as like suffered from, you know, but it's just not a pleasant experience, you know, being black in Latin America, you know? Um, so I think for me, that experience really kind of set a, a certain kind of um, preface, you know, or for just my perspective on, on a lot of social circles, especially coming to the U.S. from Venezuela, we moved to the U.S. And uh, being a, a, a Trini kid that was raised in Venezuela in New York City, it's like, where do you fit in, you know? Going to high school in New York City, um, you know, as every, well, not every kid, but as many kids do, I was a soccer player. And um, my high school was a... a, a a nationally ranked school, you know, one of the top three schools for soccer in the country, Martin Luther King High School. Shout out anyone from MLK listening right now. And uh, they did um, that. That the staff on that team did um, went above and beyond with recruitment, you know. So they would recruit uh, out of Ghana, Nigeria, uh, Senegal, Ivory Coast. Then they would also recruit out of um, Colombia. Uh, Uruguay for some strange reason um, Ecuador you know and then of course you would have kids like me who would try to walk on and uh, I was lucky enough to get on the team my freshman year and I would never forget you know when we would travel there was always this conflict of like Adam why are you hanging out with them you're one of us you know the Latino kids would say that to me as well as the black kids, you know, the, the kids from Africa and the kids from the Caribbean would ask me these questions, you know. So even from that age, it was just kind of like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not essentially a part of one specific faction of the diaspora. There's a piece of me that belongs to each, each tribe, if you will. And I try to bring that to light through the work that I do under the term, under the, the name foreigner, by trying to paint a Pan-African picture of the rawest bits of, you know, the different parts of the diaspora. Mm, super interesting. I mean, especially because I think there's so many similarities between like 
you know, these countries that you've mentioned in West Africa and at least musically, right, which is partly what we're here to talk about. Um, so many similarities between music, you know, coming out of West Africa and music coming out of Trinidad. Because I never knew there was this big kind of back and forth between Trinidad and Venezuela until I met you and you were telling me about it and how your family obviously immigrated to Venezuela, to Caracas. What is the kind of influence, you know, past and present between Venezuela and Trinidad, musically uh, or otherwise or politically? So Trinidad is only, is just, and I may be off on this, but from my understanding, it's just about five nautical miles apart off of the west, of the east coast of, of Venezuela. So the journey, at least by sea, from Venezuela to Trinidad is is very quick. You know, on a speedboat, on a fisherman's boat, you can get over, you know, legally or otherwise. You know, so if you take that into consideration and uh, think about, you know, the colonial days, the exchange culturally between Trinidad and Venezuela was practically a seamless one you know so much so that um to you know in modern day uh music and tradition trinidadian christmas music is in spanish you know trinidadian christmas music is uh called parang and it's essentially uh uh an interpretation or kind of like a um a localization of Venezuelan gaita, which is, you know, parranda, Venezuelan Christmas music, but with a layer of that Trini flavor. And by Trini flavor, I mean specifically a really special combination of African, indigenous, and East Indian influences, whether it's food, music, lingo, dance. Trini flavor is essentially this kind of like beautiful, and you know, in the beginning it was a violent kind of uh, meeting of different flavors. Violent in the sense that, of course, we know what happened to the indigenous peoples of the Caribbean and South America. Then the African experience in the Caribbean, you know, chattel slavery, etc. And then the East Indian experience in the Caribbean is, you know, one of uh, indentured servitude, you know? So all of these different people experienced uh, violence at the hands of this meeting, right? Of this colonial force that forced us to meet. But out of that violence came such a beautiful expression of a national identity that's very, very unique to the Caribbean, you know? Um, for me... Uh, the, the African influences and the African expressions in Trinidadian art really do speak the loudest. As a matter of fact, uh, my father, uh, he's a steel pan manufacturer, you know, um, and steel pan has a lot of roots in West African percussion. And um, essentially the steel pan, which is, um, it kind of represents that spirit. You know, we talk about the flavor of Trinidad, but the spirit of Trinidad is one of a DIY uh, expression and essentially that DIY expression coming from a point of rebellion against 
drum roll, colonial forces, you know? So um, that's Trinidad for us. It's super interesting because, I mean, like, Trinidad, I think, in many ways, like South Africa, right, has had so many different kind of colonial influences or, you know, was under colonial rule by so many different, I suppose, um, metropolises, right, so, or empires. Um, so, I mean, from my understanding, there's like the French, there's the Spanish, there's the British, and then true to British casual colonialism, that came with a lot of banning or outlawing of particular types of expression, right? And that's the case throughout like all of Britain's former colonies. So you look at, you know, Southeast Asia, you know, different types of um, religious ritual and with that comes musical expression as a way of, you know, getting one into ritual. Um, all of that was banned. In Zimbabwe as well, the Mbira was banned. Um, which is a really important um, instrument to kind of, you know, commune with one's ancestors and commune with the divine, right? And it's a, it's a divination tool, essentially. And again, this instrument was banned on, you know, the kind of plantations of Zimbabwe. Um, and in South Africa, you know, this kind of banning looks quite different um, in that you know, even the ways in which we mourn were kind of banned because of the labor, the labor policies that were, that were enforced through first colonization and then later with the apartheid government. And so what used to be multiple days of mourning kind of got like squashed into a few days of mourning, right? And from my understanding in Trinidad, there have been multiple moments of banning of drums, banning of particular um, types of, you know, like stick fighting as an example. Um, I wonder if you can speak a little bit to that um, and how, how that's kind of reckoned with, you know, in, in, in the music, both in the past and, and, and today. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's what, you, what you're referring to is, um, is the Kambule riots, you know, and Kambule and Kalinda, which is, you know, Afro-Trinidadian, uh, Afro-Trinidadian tradition, you know, it's, it's Afro-Trinidadian interpretation of French colonial Catholic carnival, you know, and the celebration of, um, of freedom and liberation and black liberation in, you know, in, in general terms. And I think now, um, Particularly in, in, in the age of uh, Corona, you know, people have been forced to really pause and think about what the, the, the core of Carnival really is. And those elements, those stories, that spirit of rebellion, that spirit of ingenuity as in, you know, ingenuity meaning, um, I speak to ingenuity because when the British banned the drum, uh, Trini people being Trini people, they essentially invented a brand new instrument out of bamboo, the tambu bamboo. You know, different lengths, widths, um, and just fabrications of bamboo allowed people who, who are Kambule practitioners or even Kalinda practitioners 
to m- replicate the rhythms that they would make with the traditional West African drum that they that w- that that was banned. Then after that was banned, things went into uh, using everyday objects. You know, the bottle and the spoon. Anytime you go to a Trini party, you're gonna see somebody's uncle with a bottle and a spoon, just taka 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 taka, having a time. And that practice is something that came out of banning, you know. And then you fast forward to, you know, 1930 or so, and you have the steel pan, you know, which is the first uh, instrument, musical instrument invented and developed in the last century or so. Uh, And that ingenuity, as a matter of fact, my father just told me that, uh, you know, during World War II, the U.S. occupied Trinidad and Tobago. And while they were occupying Trinidad and Tobago, Carnival was canceled, right? The same way it's canceled right now. And to kind of bring it full circle to this spirit of ingenuity, the steel pan in that period of two or three years of Carnival being mute, muted and dead, innovation was, was basically sped up. They innovated as far as, you know, how to tune the pan, the, the precision of the notes, and just the, 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 the arrangement of music, the sizes of the orchestras. So once Carnival came back, the technology was just further along. So that spirit of ingenuity now with the music, what I'm starting to see is that a lot of the programming that you see, the virtual programming that we see coming out of Trinidad right now, is pointing back to Kambule riots, pointing back to that that period, that that kind of explosive moment that gave Carnival its like rebellious power, you know. So I'm excited to see how the technology of music production and the perspective of Carnival being rooted in this idea of rebellion and ingenuity, how that manifests once outside opens again, you know? Totally. I mean, yeah, I mean, the way you're articulating it is like so on point, man. Super on point. I wonder if we can, we can jump into the first track that you have that you want to line up. Sure. So the first track I want to line up is um, it's called Two Rhythms. It's by a band called Laventil Rhythm Section. Laventil Rhythm Section is a percussive band out of Laventil, which is uh, the first free uh, settlement of uh, free black people in Trinidad, located in Port of Spain. And their story is basically the same story of ingenuity that we just discussed. These were kids in the hood that took everyday objects, turned them into percussive instruments. I'm talking about brakes, car rims, you know, anything they could get a hold of. This was back in the 80s, and they essentially evolved into one of the staples of Afro-Trinidadian beat making in the Caribbean. And uh, Two Rhythms is one of their first uh, recordings on vinyl, and uh, it's just the best presentation of what a rhythm section is supposed to sound like. If anyone listening, just if you just want to Google Laventil, 
you'll see the kind of stuff that pops up. It's a place that is uh, plagued by a lot of gang violence. You know, it's it's basically a synonym for the disenfranchised in Trinidad and Tobago. But at the same time, this community is um, essentially the, the it's the birthplace of the steel pan, and it's a place that really is, um, you know, symbolic for the, you know, the, the strength and, and the, the, the determination that black people in Trinidad have to always push forward and, and innovate and, and thrive, you know? So to start with two rhythms is an honor, so hopefully you guys like it. fire <laughs> like it's too much 
I mean, listening to these tracks, I'm like, I really need to be in a crowd with tons of people sweating. Like, it almost feels sacrilegious listening to half of this music by myself, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is. It's designed... Like, when you look at the way Laventil Rhythm Section sets up their, their performance space, it's set up... It, it, it's set up as a 360 experience, you know? They, they have these big drums. They call them dup-dups, I think. And they sit on them, like they mount them like horses, you know? And it's usually the youngest dude with his shirt off, you know? And he's striking the drum. Like, the drum is in between his legs as he's sitting on top of it. And he's striking it, you know? Like he's shirtless, strong, strong dude. And the ladies are going crazy over this guy. And, you know, the dup-dups are elevating, you know? So when you see, if you look at Laventil Rhythm Section from a distance, you see the crowds, but then you see these drummers above just the horizon of these people. And you just, you hear the iron, you hear the, the leather, the skins just going off. And it's all percussive, it's all, you know, human energy. There's no amplifier. So that spirit is just kind of just like swallowing you up and taking you to a new place. And that's, to me, to me, that's the energy of, of Trini Rhythm. A rhythm section is the energy of Trini Rhythm. For sure. And then, like, the other thing, you're speaking about, like, a kind of 360 experience, right? Which I think is so, um, such a common thread throughout Africa and the, and, and the African diaspora, of, like, our music performance is not performance on a stage to an audience and we, we're kind of giving an audience such as a supposed like empty receptacle what we have to offer right it's actually a lot more of a, of a dialogue and a call and response in conversation so you know orientating in a 360 kind of format just makes so much more sense because it's you know the audience is part of the part of the music and they're like contributing to that to that fire to that element you know a hundred percent and i think you know Trinidad is, is, is suffering from, a, as many places around the world, is suffering from a lot of crime, you know, um, a disproportionate amount of crime, you know, because we're, we're a small country. It's a, you know, our country is 1.3 million people large. So, um, you know, a, a, a modern proportion of crime is just disproportionate for our, our, our nation, you know. And a lot of the experiences, particularly from an entertainment point of view, involve a lot of separation. Not only of people and talent, but of class. You know, it's, you go to an event, you have the general admission, you have, you have the general admission ticket, you have the VIP ticket, then you have the VVIP ticket, and then the VVVIP ticket, and it's just these fences that, you know, are rusty, nasty, they're not painted, separating people, like, you know, and this is, might be a, a, drama, a, a bit dramatic, but like cattle, you know, it's like these fences that, you know, you could see people through the fence, you know, you can, you can see them, you can interact with them, but you can't go on the general admission side, and the general admission side can't come to VIP, so... An experience like you just described, the 360 experience that is inherently uh, Afro-diasporic, that is emerging in, uh, of talent and 
an audience and is almost participatory call and response is where carnival and a lot of experiences in music around the diaspora need to return to you know mm. and kind of i think are starting to return to that so it's interesting that you you bring you bring that up for sure so when you talk about events are you speaking about carnival specifically or like other types of events any event in trinidad including carnival yeah you know beyonce came to trinidad in um in 2012 and the the amount of v's on the vvips that the, the you know the kind the kind of tearing that happened was just ridiculous you know so it's something that is has become very normal and i think that with the pandemic and people thinking about the roots and the and just the cause and the rebellious power of things i think is going to start reversing at least i hope it will yeah i hope so as well because i mean even in south africa we have a carnival here as well on the 2nd of January. It's called mm. um in Cape Town. Trinidad Carnival is supposed to happen tomorrow, no? 15th of, 15th of February. It's, it's happened. I mean, Carnival usually starts on Boxing Day. Oh, shit. That's when okay. Carnival season starts. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's just like ongoing. So as soon as, as soon as we sing Happy Birthday for Jesus... The season starts, you know, so it's just like events, big, small, all sorts of events are just taking place from Boxing Day up until, you know, Ash Wednesday. So the peak of the experience, you know, especially as it pertains to people coming in to Trinidad to experience Carnival, kicks off as early as uh, the Monday before Ash Wednesday. So if it weren't for uh, Corona... I would be uh, about three days, four days in carnival mode, you know. But, you know, I think uh, it's healthy that I'm taking a, a, a break this year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what I was kind of referring to, so even in South Africa, with the kind of Cops um, Clops parade, there's also super, super high fences. And the fences just get higher and higher and higher and higher and higher for the audience. So you basically everyone's fingers are like peering through the gaps of these fucking fences just to kind of see their troop walk past them eventually, you know? Yeah. It, but there's, you know, there's a flip side to it as well, you know? Um, and I don't know if this might be a good segue to another track, but the structure of Carnival as it is right now in Trinidad employs so many people. You know, you think of some of these premium bands... Um, you know, basically what they would call a samba school in, in Brazil. These bands are essentially, um, you can buy your way in, you know, it's like a tourist package, you know. And some of these, these bands are thousands of people, massive groups of people. And uh, it's a v all premium, you know, open bar, etc. And it comes with security, you know. So as you're marching through the, the streets with your trucks and so on, there are hundreds of staff members holding ropes, keeping you know people who don't have the correct wristbands out of the band. Mm. You know, all of those people, they're earning a salary. You know, all of the people on the trucks, they're earning their wages. You know, the band is priced 
at a premium, it's premium price stuff, you know. So it's essentially positioned as a luxury product. So for basically the entry point, the entry price point for a carnival band in Trinidad is about, for men, it's about a thousand US dollars. And then for women, it's kind of like double that, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's a very weird and problematic thing, you know. For women, uh, there are different tiers that you could participate in. There's front line uh, and back line, you know. It's the costumes have a different level of intricacy, uh-huh. you know. Um, then, of course, it comes with all of these amenities. Right, so you're also paying this. for the costume as well, right? You're paying for the costume. There's open bar for three days straight, you know. Um, there's other people that you can dance with. It's it's a wild time. Don't get me wrong. Once you pay your money to play mass, you are going to like yourself. You're going <laughs> to feel great. You're going to feel amazing. But at the same time, you know, a lot of the people that that um, that play mass are usually people that are flying in from the UK, Canada, the US, wherever. A lot of l- local people can't necessarily afford to spend that kind of money. So Carnival has become, you know, kind of stratified, you know, as far as class and access and it's just a bittersweet thing because while it does employ a lot of people, it does commoditize Carnival as a luxury product that is out of reach mm-hmm. to the people that need it most. You know, Trini people are going through a lot of things. There's a lot of anger and bitterness and, and frustration in the country. You know, Carnival is their opportunity to release. But the price point of these things makes it yet another makes it a privileged thing to be able to participate in carnival Mm -hmm. you know and that's why um one of the tracks that i included is uh heart of the people by uh by bungee garlin you know bungee garlin is is a soca artist who uh, i regard as you know a living legend because just the the lyricism and the complexity of his lyrics is an ode to you know, uh, uh, a Trinidadian tradition, musical tradition of, you know, double entendre, you know, social commentary through Calypso and, um, you know, just impeccable world-class songwriting. And while the general landscape of soca is just wild, jump and wave, wine, wine, bend your back, bend your back, bend your back, in comes Bungie Garland just laying out pure poetry that's reflecting a truth that other soca artists just um, kind of overlook, you know? So, yeah. Heart of the People by Bungie Garland. I know that you see two women in a dance with a man in the middle. Huh. I know that you see two women in a dance with a man in the middle. Yeah. I know that you see two women in a dance with a man in the middle. 
next time you see two women in a dance with a man in the middle, squeeze up like Klondike, getting rubbed down like a pot with scotch bright. Think about the people who was hired to run pipe, the man to build tent, man who hired to run light. The fireman, the police, and the ambulance outside, they look at you to find the one bike with the back eyes. Security, we monitor your car till sunrise. Bender with the water, juicy hot chicken, and fries. fries. Oh. And now you see it, and you never take stuff. All right, all right, all right. The carnival in your mind is only about woman and boss. Caught up with enjoyment that you don't see the level of employment that could have saved life when you think this thing would have destroyed them. And I've always seen that key. And you don't know nothing about them because you follow old talk like she. And you don't know nothing about them. is one big party so now they could take a break they never consider people who make a break throughout the year when granny them bake the cake and they could barely sell any to save she fit but when the place vibrates and the place a shake and every cake them sell out she could raise the gate send the kids to school facilitate the plate cover every bill never evade the date straight and now you see it and it doesn't compute and everything where you think a lie but it's never untrue you so caught up with enjoyment that you Employment that could have saved life when you think this thing would have destroyed them. And I've always seen that key. And you don't know nothing about that because you follow old talk like she. And you don't know nothing about that. He says, I bet you never took time to take stock, you know, because all you think about is, you know, you think carnival is only about woman and walk, you know, where I'm trying to recite the, the lyrics here, but he says, you know, people are constantly or only worried about enjoyment when they don't really realize that carnival is a huge source of employment, you know, and it's just like a... a, a a voice in soccer that you think you would hear now more given the conditions with the pandemic but Bungie Garland is essentially the only artist that really is speaking on this so I thought it was important to to put it on there the, the, the beat is, is like a a soccer beat that I really like it's like a cheesy kind of like happy man beat but normally a, a, a beat like that doesn't carry a um uh, a message as deep and as heavy as uh, the one that Bungie Garland is, is, is um, spitting on that beat. So, right. Okay. And then, so yeah. how would you kind of, for people who aren't familiar with the genre, like how would you kind of define uh, soca as like a group of music? That's a great question. So soca, I guess I'll just start with, you know, how if, what it means today, you know, and, 
a former boss of mine and you know still a friend of mine Marlon Darbo who's an incredible graphic designer industrial designer based in Trinidad um, he was the creative director at a company that I worked for it was a design agency in Trinidad and at this design agency um, you know everyone had access to the speakers in the office you know it was a very democratized vibe in the office so you know, one moment you might be hearing Wu-Tang Clan, another moment you might be hearing, you know, that little dragon tune that everybody was playing like crazy, Feather, back in 2010, you know. And then you might hear some soca, you know. And then when the soca would come on, some people would, you know, say, yo, it's not a soca vibe right now, you know. And they would, then this big debate would kick off, like, what do you mean there's no soca vibe? This is our music. This is the national music. There's no such thing as a soca vibe. And Marlon, he, would, he said this, and it always stood with me. You know, He said that you can't really present soca to someone that doesn't know soca without the context of soca being presented. You know? So if you were to just listen to that song and listen to it for you know, just a general idea of um, what a, a quote-unquote good song is supposed to sound like as far as like a pop song or a song that has some sort of musical integrity, quote-unquote, you will probably have your questions. But soca is literally designed specifically to enjoy on the road, Carnival Monday or Tuesday or Juve in Trinidad. And that being the case, every single soca song, every single one, has an over... Has a, is, is, is an overdose of joy, you know? When you hear these beats, it's like very, very happy. It's euphoric. Every soca tune aims for that, whether it's just like an euphoria just through ecstasy or euphoria in just like dance or feeling sexy or just feeling power, empowered. Now, the history of soca is... Uh, Basically, a, a, a hybridization of soul music and calypso, you know. Soul music, you know, in the 60s and 70s, as you can imagine, in Trinidad, as it may have been in South Africa, the youths were listening to American music, you know. Whether it's Motown, you know, whatever it may be, that's what was really driving the buzz in the street. But then again, you know, national identity and national tradition were key. So, Soka really was born out of a, a, a desire to really merge these two influences to take it to the, to, you know, to a larger market, you know. So, Soka is essentially short for the soul of Calypso, and it relies a little bit heavier on, uh, it, re it relies a little bit more on percussion, which is uh, basically a percussive approach to Trinidadian music, that's a, that's basically a, a combination of East Indian and African percussive uh, patterns, you know? Because as you may or may not know, Trinidad is essentially majority East Indian. Like a slight majority of, of Trinidad and Tobago is Indian. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, what's interesting to me though is the way, like obviously chutney music is massive in Trinidad. Um, mm -hmm. 
And there's a really huge chutney music scene in South Africa as well, because we also have I can imagine. a very similar history of, you know, Indian indenture in like 1860s. So I think it's a little bit later than, than Trinidad's history of indenture. But yeah, so I, I was always interested in wondering what we're trying to find out the, the influence of, of South Asian uh, folks in kind of soca music specifically does it go beyond just like the percussive elements or are there other kind of more like melodic influences that kind of show up or not so much absolutely absolutely i mean some of the most iconic soca songs are you know essentially either a um a chutney song you know or some sort of uh you know ode to you know, the the, the, the Indo-Trinidadian community in Trinidad, you know, um, whether it's, you know, there's one song that's an absolute classic. As a matter of fact, you know, we should throw this in the, in the, in the lineup. It's called Jahaji Bai, okay? It's called Jahaji Bai, and it's essentially, you know, Ancestry.com before Ancestry.com. You know, it's like this, 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 uh, <laughs> this a Calypsonian who is basically tracing back his ancestry, you know, and, and demonstrating to, you know, Trinidad and Tobago that, look, we share this ancestry. A lot of us, you know, including myself, we are of Indian descent. You know, I literally just did ancestry DNA. You know, maybe, you know, the Illuminati got me now. They have my DNA. But I just had to know, right? But I have a, a large portion of my ancestry and my genetic makeup is, is uh, South Asian, you know, and Jahaji Bai is like a really beautiful, melodic song and heavily percussive song about this person's ancestors. And they each came from different parts of the world. But, you know, the Ganges meets the Nile in Trinidad. Jahaji Bai is so good. <laughs> yeah, Jahaji Bai is uh, by Brother Marvin. And this is a song that you would hear in... Uh, Everywhere in most parties, you know, to warm up, it's, it's just, a, it's just a, a the ultimate classic. So, Jahaji Bai, enjoy.
unique heritage 50% African, 50% India There's so much going on in that song. <laughs> I look, yeah, that's the, that's one of the songs that you know you would literally like. People are just in the middle of the, of the dance hall screaming that song at the top of their lungs. You know, it's just brotherhood on the boat. You know, it's just like people love that song. You know, and just um, it's just uh, chutney and and tassa and just. The influence of Indian on on Trinidadian people is just so deep, you know, like just it's power in it, you know. But at the same time, you know, the divide and conquer slash scapegoat politics, you know, rule book that all of our governments adopt, you know, they really exploit that division, that racial division, you know, um, they exploit the differences in religion, they exploit, they, they exploit, you know, the differences in skin color, and around election time is when you really see the nastiness of that uh, poor governance, you know, come to come to light, you know, because um, one party in Trinidad is is African, and the other party, the other major party in Trinidad is South Asian, you know, so things get crazy. Sure. Yeah. Okay, that's that's pretty full on. And then, so how how I mean, a question that I wanted to ask you was the ways in which the word blackness is used in Trinidad, if it's used at all, right? Well, you know, from my vantage point, as you know, as someone that didn't necessarily grow up there, mm. you know, um, the idea of blackness is something that really uh, took flight in the early seventies in Trinidad. The early 70s was when um, the Trinidadian black, black power movement took off. And it was essentially, an, you know, the, the same outcry that you hear across the, the, the global struggle for black liberation, you know, access, you know, access to choices. You know, um, that's, you know, my parents' generation, my father, my mom, they were in college at the University of West Indies when the Black Power Movement kicked off. And um, as you can imagine, you know, it's 71, 72. The whole aesthetic of and, and, and the, the rhetoric of the Black Panther Party is just ringing loud and clear. That movement essentially, from my understanding, um, really did normalize this idea of, of Black Power. You know, um, black power not just in a political, uh, as a political vehicle, but also as a uh, a category to define a lot of the different um, cultural and professional expressions that people were achieving mm. in Trinidad. You know, um, now especially when I moved to Trinidad after college, so. 
just to back up a little bit, I left Trinidad when I was five years old. Moved to Venezuela. Then moved to New York. Studied in D.C. You know, moved around the country while I was interning and so on. And then I graduated in, in 2009 at the height of the recession. Mm. And I told myself, look, if I'm going to be making, you know, Applebee's money, you know, let me make Applebee's money in the beautiful island, twin island republic of Trinidad and Tobago. So I moved back in 2009. And I will say, you know, given that, you know, my father is quite successful and was able to provide us with a roof over our heads in a really nice neighborhood and connect us with people that could get us jobs and so on. That environment essentially didn't prepare me for what I faced when I moved to LA three years after as a black man, right? When I was in Trinidad working in, you know, design agencies, rubbing shoulders with artists and doing things that creatives do, I didn't necessarily feel the same level of uh, of uh, otherness that I that you do when you're walking around in an office in Los Angeles, California in the 2010s. You know, so in Trinidad, class does kind of blind a lot of us from the realities that, you know, a lot of our brothers and sisters are facing in cities like L.A., New York, Joburg, Cape Town, I mean, Rio, you know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's a bit of a disconnection. And that disconnection for me had to kind of come to a quick plug-in when I got to, when I moved back to the U.S. and realized that, wow, okay, the, the the black experience is very different based on class between Trinidad and the U.S. You know, it was a real culture shock for me. You went to an HBCU, didn't you, as well? Right. And that, uh, to me, that that's another, you know, uh, dream that you get sold going to a place like Howard, you know. You go to Howard and it's literally kind of like a, socially, it's a utopia, you know, socially, you're around, excuse me, socially, you're around black people from all over the world. Majority American, but everyone's black and everyone's ambitious. Everyone's working hard at what they want to do, whether that's in the class or out of the class, you know. And you get really uh, accustomed very quickly to this society of, I don't want to say black excellence because that's very kind of elitist but you just get accustomed to this idea of a black society you know the only other place that i felt that same vibe was when i went to atlanta you know atlanta is beautiful <laughs> you know you walk around there and it's like this is amazing you know so leaving going from howard to trinidad where in trinidad is either you're, you're black or you're brown that's it you know, and experiencing, you know, the, the, um, the, you know, the privileges that, you know, the social circles that I was a part of and, you know, the, 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 the opportunities that my father was able to hook up for me, 
you know, in a place like Trinidad really did kind of blind me from a lot of different things. And luckily I had mentors in my life in Trinidad that kind of pointed out certain things to me and to kind of like catch myself as a 20-something-year-old. Um, and I heard them. I heard it loud and clear, but it was only when I touched, in, touched down in L.A. and stepped into this advertising agency job that I hadn't landed and I was the only black person in there. And some of the comments and stuff that, you know, you would hit in some of these boardrooms, you know, um, it was just out of control. No, it's wild. Out it's of wild. control. I mean, even yeah. in the production, the production industry here as well, it's like, so, I mean, I was living in Cape Town for like six years, which is, if anything, like it's a crucible of racism. <laughs> Um, so i've heard so i've heard no i'm sure i'm sure but let's let's jump into the next track okay next track um what track should i line up here next well just to kind of speak on the fact that you know again you know carnival is canceled everything's leveled you know, all of that elitism with um, mass and and who have money and who don't have money, it's kind of just, it's just flattened. You know, everybody's at home. Everybody's at home, you know. So the pressure now is, again, to go back to that root of not necessarily rebellion because, you know, corona is real, right? But ingenuity and, and innovation and, 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 and DIY culture, everyone has to kind of celebrate in their own special way at home. And Bungie Garland, again, master lyricist out of Trinidad, just put out this song called All Houses Rude, you know, meaning that every house is the road, like, you know, we're on the road in Trinidad for Carnival, you know? And just the way he paints this picture and like gives you ideas as far as what to do with your family in your house is is such a great, you know, hype, energetic song, you know? Well, you feel that all this thing cancel, I cancel, let's think can't cancel what we doing, brother. You're mad, brother. High still jumping out in the gallery like it's rude. Road, but then somebody getting mad at this other day like it's rude. Road, my house is the rude. Road, backyard is the rude. Road, front yard is the rude. Road, side yard is the rude. All right, hey, all houses road, brother. All houses road. All houses road, right now. All houses road. All houses road, right now. All houses road. All houses road, right now. All houses road. Them laughing at Trinidad and say carnival, we don't have that. Take speaker box and load it up on a van bag Put rum in a knapsack, then jump out in a hazmat Partying we had, you see the gate, we not going past that Early juve morning, the mantle still have to take up The powder still have to fly and the pen still will have to spray up The sweat still will have to sweat, but there won't be a crowd to break up Even if it's me alone, carnival never stop Brother high still, jumping on in the gallery like it's road Road, and somebody getting mad at this suddenly like it's road Road, my house is the road Road, backyard is the road Road, front yard is the road Road, Side yard is the road, alright. Hey, all houses road, brother. All houses road. All houses road, right now. All houses road. All houses road, brother. All houses road. All houses road, right now. All houses road. Everybody know that 
with absence Even if it's me alone, I party like I don't have sense Got drinks by the sidewall, DJ by the back fence The future no cancel, so I sticking down in the past tense I check the possibilities and I check the ratio Of going back to the venue, the music, the crowd is tear show Look like this year I have to call all of my friends on video If guys are with go, and guys are with go Brother high still, jumping on in the gallery like it's road Find on somebody getting mad on this holiday like it's road My house is the road, backyard is the road Trinidad say carnival, we don't have that Bigger take speaker box and load it up on a van back Put rum in a knapsack, then jump out in a hazmat Party in we had, you see the gate, we not going past that Early juve morning, the mantel still have to take up The powder still have to fly and the pen still will have to spray up The sweat still will have to sweat, but there won't be a crowd to break up Even if it's me alone, carnival never stop Brother high still, jumping on in the gallery like it's road Why don't somebody get in mad and it's suddenly like it's road My house is the road I wanted to ask like what kind of if any contemporary African influence is kind of occurring in Trinidad at the moment um if such as you know I mean because this is my this is my thing um is that like people when speaking about the influences of the other continent in the Caribbean or whichever diaspora that kind of conversation starts and stops with um transatlantic slavery right um and as if it's not a continuous conversation as if these these geographies are not continuously in conversation with what's happening on the continent and vice versa and these influences are bouncing back and forth across the atlantic and the caribbean well i mean one thing that i think specifically from a from from a musical perspective mm. One thing that Trinidad is always kind of on the constant um, search for is ways to evangelize and spread the power of soca music, you know? And um, the way Afrobeats spread like wildfire is something that I think a lot of artists, like, you know, mainstream kind of, you know, soca artists pay close attention to. Because, you know, Afrobeats, even though it's, it's quite an accessible genre of music, as far as, like, you know, the pop market is concerned, it's still very distinct, you know? It's very unique, that sound, you know? So I think the fact that Afrobeats has blown up the way it has, I think uh, Trinidadian artists are starting to, like, okay, what... What can we learn from that, you know? And I think the first reaction to it is just adopting a lot of the, the you know, the rhythms and so on. Mm -hmm. You know, so you hear, you know, um, certain songs by Trinidadian producers that are literally, you know, same drum patterns as Afrobeat, same kind of sound and so on. And then you have 
full-on collaborations. You know, there's um, an artist in Trinidad called, uh, her name is Nalia Blackman. And uh, she put out a song called, uh, what's the name of the song? I cannot remember the name, but it was produced by Team Salute, you know? Um, Team Salute being kind of like that powerhouse Afrobeat um, production. I think they're a duo. So there's that, you know? And then, of course, you know, if it wasn't for Corona, uh, Carnival 2021 was going to be the year of Jerusalem, you know? Everyone around the world just lost their freaking minds for that. And I feel as though, you know, the intro to, to that song is like a really cool, it's a South African song, you know, like that intro. I would have, I would give anything to be in Trinidad and hear those sound systems that they use in Trinidad playing that song. That would have been incredible, you know, so. On a pop slash mainstream level, there is that very, very, you know, one-to-one kind of influence on, you know, different artists' pursuit of um, success. Um, on a deeper level, you know, I think that, uh, how do I put it? I think, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a, an influence from the continent itself, but as as I'm sure it's the same scenario in South Africa, um, the Black Lives Matter movement of 2020 really, really um, brought a lot of conversations to the fore that should have been happening ages ago. You know, right? You know, certain retailers, um, you know. Had to get their shit together. Oh my god, you know, I saw um, that um, that KFC um, ad out of Trinidad. Right, for Emancipation Day. Right, so just so for the audience who doesn't know what we're speaking about, so basically KFC came out with an ad that was essentially um, like a black power fist made out of a chicken drumstick. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Let me, let me, I gotta correct you. you. You didn't get it all the way right. So it was, so it was an ad celebrating Emancipation Day in Trinidad. Right. Right. Emancipation Day being the celebration of the abolishing of slavery. Right. And as you know, every brand is doing the little performative thing, you know, especially in, in 2020. And KFC, the geniuses at KFC and their advertising agency came up with the idea to have a, a, a drumstick, a chicken drumstick that is casting a shadow and the shadow is a black, is a black fist. Sorry, all I, all I remember you know? is chicken drumstick so, yeah. and black power and black fist. fist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh so, my you know, God, the, so tone deaf, I can't not, even It's deal. not the chicken. It's not the chicken. The chicken's still tasty. They're good. It's a chicken's shadow, okay? The chicken's shadow. But no, but all jokes aside, you know, it's just a, a certain level of insensitivity in Trinidad that has run rampant. It's, and it's not just uh, against black people, you know? I mean, you know, Asian people in Trinidad, they're dealing with a lot, you know? Both, you know, people who have, you know, uh, specifically, you know, there's a large Chinese community in Trinidad, both people who have been there for many generations and then 
uh, folks who are, you know, first generation and so on, they suffer from crazy amounts of, you know, discrimination and insensitive remarks. I mean, every different group in Trinidad deals with a certain level of racism, you know, which is, you know, a byproduct or a, a side effect of post-colonialism. But uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, things have really, really taken a turn for um, just, you know, more accountability for people that are crossing the line. And uh, I think with the youth in Trinidad, it's it's really, really um, emboldening them to step out and be a voice, not just for other black people, but for, um, you know, other vulnerable communities. So right now, you know, um, there's a lot of as as South Africa is is also dealing with this situation. The 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 gender-based violence in Trinidad is 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 really 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 a nightmare right now. You know, um, yeah, you know, countless women that are just turning up dead, and assaulted, and so on. And the folks that are leading the the um, you know, the fight against the government, which is essentially victim blaming and not necessarily taking the necessary steps to protect women. Mm-hmm. Um, the youth are the ones leading that battle, you know. So it's interesting how the diaspora, in addition to the continent, but the diaspora in general is really equipping people on the ground in Trinidad to make the statements they need to make. And then how, how does that... Um existing conversation with Carnival, right? Um, specifically GBV. Um, and, uh, you know, here at least, I mean, I'm basically I'm wondering, like, what are the ways in which Carnival is, like, consciously or overtly politicized in, in that way, where maybe different bands are kind of taking on um, particular issues? Well, you know, the way... In my opinion, a lot of brands approach GBV, at least before the pandemic and before, you know, places like Trinidad and South Africa kind of had to take a pause and really sit with the situation. You can't party away or distract yourself with anything. You just kind of have to confront this thing. Before now, I think they they wouldn't mention anything about it. They They would not even speak on it. You know, it's almost like, and this is clearly an assumption and a generalization, so if anyone's taking offense to this, sorry. But I think for tourism's sake, the sentiment might be that, look, if we bring this up, we might scare the tourists away, Mm. you know? Um, Which is why, uh, you know, going back to one of the points that I made earlier, the amount of security on the road is crazy. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of security. It's interesting though, I mean, because th- like carnival, like sexuality is such a huge part of it, right? Um, right. And it almost seems to me like a glaring oversight to not be like, to be like, we want sexuality, but we're not speaking about when sexuality gets like um, transgressed or. Um, taken to a, a place where there's like the intersection of violence and sexuality you know yeah i mean 
I mean, look, no this one is, the same is talking thing about South it. Africa. It's the same thing in Jamaica. Um, right. You know, and I think it's specifically speaking to um, Carnival, a lot of these events and bands, you kind of have to know somebody to know somebody, know somebody that knows somebody to get access to the ticketing platform to buy the ticket. Oh, shit. Okay. So there's that kind of like informal vetting platform for a lot of events, you know, but even then you deal with really um, adverse situations, you know, I mean, mm. so even though there is all of this, you know, um, this infrastructure to one vet people and the vetting isn't just like, hey, I'm going to like try to like keep you out because. I don't know you. It, it, there's other like classist dynamics going on there. Right. You know, like totally. how many women versus how many men are admitted, you know, what people look like, what color, the color of their skin, you know, all sorts of stuff, all sorts of stuff. I'm kind of, my mind is kind of blown by the ways in which Carnival seems to be controlled by a particular like elite. Um, like my, I, I, this is all news to me and I'm kind of like, whoa, I had no idea that it wasn't, you know, like a super grassroots thing. Yeah. And I mean, look, the elite aspects that I'm talking about, that's just one part, you know, it's probably the most visible part, you know, it's definitely the more visible part because trust me, it's a lot, of, it's a lot of fun. It's like, it's too much fun. You understand? At the same time, there's just it's still a lot of that incredible grassroots, you know, homegrown carnival institutions. You know, what I mean, normally Monday, the first is the first day of carnival, and you kind of spend the entire day in Port of Spain doing your thing, partying. You're not in full costume, but you know, you you're scantily clad. You know. And you're drinking and you're doing your thing, you know. That's usually Carnival Monday. But a large group of friends of mine always end up in a in a village called Paramin, Carnival Monday night. Now Paramin is not far off from Port of Spain, but it is way up in these mountains, right? Just n right outside of Port of Spain, and it's so high up that it's almost a little kind of uh, isolated and kind of secluded from a lot of the other cultural happenings, hap you know, in on the island, mm -hmm. you know? So much so that they've preserved a lot of different things like speaking Creole, you know? Mm -hmm. And Paramin is known for herbs and farming. and But the thing that Paramin is kind of like iconic for is... This carnival, this ca carnival character that they perform every carnival called the Blue Devils. You know, it's, it's like a, it's also a character that you see uh, manifest in a different way in Grenada, which is the Jab Jab, mm -hmm. where they cover themselves in crude oil and they black and they have food coloring in their mouth and carrying a pig head. In Trinidad, the Blue Devil, they cover themselves in blue. It's, it looks so amazing. Cover themselves in blue. They wear, the, you know, the devil horns. Um, they, I think they'll put some, like, coloring in their mouth, and they'll harass you in the street until you give them money. And then Carnival Monday, 
there are different troops of blue devils that march to the center of the village and there's a judging point where, you know, the judges will determine who's the king of the hill, you know? So all of us would meet up in the in up in the mountains in Parman to see all of these blue devils come down the street, spit fire, harass people, scare the little children. And we're all just on the side of the street, drinking beers, catching up, enjoying the crisp mountain air of Trinidad, of, of Paramin, you know? And then on the flip side, to go into another track, I guess, that Jab Jab devil uh, character manifests in, in uh, Grenada, but in like a, in a very, very unique way, you know? Like their sound is so is wild you know when you hear a grenadian soca song come on it's something that like takes over you you know and you just want to break stuff and go crazy it's very it's almost punkish you know you just want to disturb the peace and one of the songs that really stood out as like one of the craziest grenadian uh job job vibes is adohav I do have by Temptress and um, what's what this Temptress and uh, what's this fella name again? Sorry, I should know this. Right. So yeah, I do have by Temptress and Dino Otaringe. Right. This song, <laughs> I'll send you the music video too, so you can kind of get a visual. But this song, when this song comes on, it's like. Um, you get just have to feel bad for the venue <laughs> because people are tearing people are tearing people are tearing things down you know so i do have enjoy Dennis, you're fired Yeah, what the chop go ball? I don't have, I don't have, I don't. The chop go ball, I don't have, I don't have. 
this. This you is, know? it's like, it's, it's like force. It's just the whole thing is just force. Right. You know, like when I think about like a lot of these Grenadian songs, like, like that job, job song, I just think about like a, you know, that construction tool that's just like pounding on the ground and just building a hole. Right. That's what I think of. It's just like a, 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 a just what we call pong, you know, just like hitting, hitting hard. You know. So are you saying that basically, like, you can? Are you able to tell whether Ahsoka's from, say, Trinidad, or whether it's from Grenada, or whether it's from somewhere else? Are you able to kind of distinguish the styles? A hundred percent. Right. Okay. And what what are the what are the yeah. kind of like different? I mean, you're saying like Grenadian Ahsoka's like a lot more forceful and like punk what is the other kind right of? so generally speaking not necessarily speaking about region there's two types of soca you have power and groovy you know power is typically characterized by as bpm you know so 160 you know 150 to 160 bpm groovy is the slower, sexier, you know, calmer vibe. That's characterized by is BPM as well, and it's like 115 BPM, maybe 120, you know? The thing that really defines kind of like the regionality of things, specifically comparing Grenada to Trinidad, is the um, what I like to call the minimalism of, Gren of Grenadian soca, you know? Trini power soca. Well, they're both power, you know. Grenadian soca is always, is almost always, one fifty and up. It's like pace, speed, you know. Right. But Trini soca, Trini power soca, to me, their their artistic ambition is euphoria. You know, it's fast, and you're just feeling like high, you know. As a and I say this as a non-Grenadian, okay, so. For me, Grenadian music is about trance. You know, it takes you into this like wild kind of like character. You know, you're playing job job. You're you're a wild job job. You know, on the street, messing with people, disturbing the peace. You know, breaking stuff. It's criminal. You know, it's like breaking the law, breaking the rules. Tommy, talk to me about Dark Side. Um What's it called? Problem child. Nasty up. What's going on? Got it. <laughs> What's happening there? So problem child. I think he might be Vin he might be from St. Vincent. You, I, might, I might have to check that. But he's a New York soca artist. You know, and it's something special about New York soca artists. New York soca artists, they're kind of like New York is like a, a a very important city for soca, you know. When you're in New York, you're gonna hear all the soca from all over the all over the region. Whatever is hot, you're gonna hear it and you're gonna love it because a lot of people in New York don't necessarily party by nationality; they party by genre, you know. And Problem Child took this dark side rhythm and applied the the, the whole jab jab get nasty wild, break the law, mash up everything. Why? Because we have insurance. That's what he, he's literally saying that, you know? So it's, it's almost like the Jab Jab Grenadian spirit that Problem Child is bringing into that song is almost an indirect 
you know, uh, owed to the the revolutionaries of Grenada from 1979. You know, the Maurice Bishops of, of this universe. You know, it's, Grenada is. They tried. You know, they tried to be. A, a revolutionary nation that focused on black liberation. Mm -hmm. They tried it. And, you know, what happens when you do that? Uncle Sam is, is coming for you, you know? Haiti's a prime example. It, exactly. You know, I mean, anyone that gets militant when it comes to black liberation is going to meet the barrel of a gun, you know? And that's what happened to Maurice Bishop, you know? He was killed by a firing squad, you know? Um, and y the U.S. invaded Grenada, and that was that. And, you know, sometimes I feel as though it's a stretch. Like, oh, yeah, these, these artists, these so-called artists, they're not thinking about that. But recently, you know, on the almighty encyclopedia that is YouTube, <laughs> I found a, a, a video of a, a very famous Grenadian artist called Tall Pri, right? Tall Pri is one of the pioneers of really taking the Grenadian sound out of Grenada, that job job sound, and bringing it to New York and the rest of the Caribbean region. And there's a video of him in the late 80s, early 90s, back before he was singing soca, he was doing like his dancehall raga thing, you know? And he was doing a freestyle on stage, and in the freestyle, he's telling people like, yo, they say that we only kill... 10 Yankees, nah, we kill like a thousand of them. They just don't want you to know that, you know, Grenadian Badman could shoot, you know? And I think about that, and I think about, wow, okay, Talapri was talking about that in his early days. That spirit of rebellion and just like being militant must be a key ingredient to the job job sound. And that's, to me, part of the inspiration of playing this music as much as I can when I DJ. Because it's kind of like an indirect, you know, salute to the black militant that, you know, has, has, has had to go into hiding. Right. You know? This brings me, I mean, let's actually listen to that track, Nasty F by Problem Child, quickly. Let's do it.
like we have insurance When crazy people reach up, we have insurance Cause we have endurance We gon' mash it up and buy back Tear down and build back Mash it up and buy back Tear down and build back We gon' mash it up and buy back Tear down and build back Mash it up and buy back Break it down like brother, brother, brother Yes, make a mess in the place Mess up, we don't have no behavior Yes, I do not see the place Yes, the fuck it up with the powder Yes, make a mess in the place I think I sent you the one, the version I sent you. Let me see here. It's like an edit. It's a, a Saint Pepsi re refake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an edit. That's my favorite edit because you could just loop that, you know, and blend it and, you know, get people get crazy. As soon as you hear that, bling, 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 bling people lose it. No, it's people uh, suck. It's next level, man. But this brings me to, to something I wanted to ask you about or I would love you to speak on is the kind of poster projects that you've been doing and you know kind of you know bringing clr james into i guess your broader practice right like yes you're a selector yes you're a dj yes you're a promoter but i kind of see your practices kind of expanding beyond that as you say you know you do do design but there's something very consciously conceptual and like your, your mission and your agenda is like fucking clear, at least to me, um, which I really appreciate. Um, so yeah, I wonder if you can just speak on, speak to that project you did with, with CLR, CLR James's book, Black Jacobins. Sure, yeah, well, I appreciate the kind of words on that. I mean, for me, they're just so, that book, The Black Jacobins is by CLR James was introduced to me by my brother. Uh, Michael Cooper, he goes by Cooper Libre. And uh, that story and the details of that story um, are deliberately kept from black children around the world, you know? To understand the dynamics of the Haitian Revolution is to understand the rule book and the playbook for revolution, you know? It's the same playbook that Fred Hampton was 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 using you know and, uh, yeah, it's timely because Judas and the Black Messiah just came out 
but it's history, history repeating itself, you know, and I'm not, you know, Mr. FBI agent or Mrs. FBI agent, if you're listening to this, I'm not over here planning no revolution, okay? <laughs> but that playbook, you know, is something that has dynamics that can be applied to any kind of, you know, community organizing, you know? And I think that people having access to that book and incentivizing people to get access to that book was very important to me, you know? Um, another reason uh, I wanted to evangelize that book was um, just a general salute to the black militant, you know? I think that people, we don't mourn the black militant as much as we should, you know? We, 100%. We play dress up, you know, whether it's a Halloween costume, or a Super Bowl performance, no shade to the beehive out there, <laughs> you know. But it's become kind of just like a, a, a Halloween costume, you know. This idea of somebody putting their life on the line for the liberation of the downtrodden, you know, the for black people in general, in, uh, in particular. So any opportunities that I have to really kind of salute the black militant um I try to seize that opportunity because I know deep down that to do the things that folks in Haiti did, uh, to do the things that people in the Black Panther Party did, and to just face, you know, fascism the way that many black militants did, it's something that I just, I don't have in me, you know? So bringing attention and knowledge around that in um, creative ways is uh, something that is important to me and that I enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, in agreement. Um, let's jump into, into, into what will probably be our last track. Um, the last track, I think, just which is a good little nightcap, I guess, is uh, uh, Soka in the Palace by Rootsman. Let me see if I'm telling you. Yeah. I just think that, you know, this song, I love this song because it just talks about how there's no malice with this music, you know? Everybody's happy. We soak in the palace. We jam in with no malice. If you see me with them princess, you know, it's just nice. And I think that's the message that... um a lot of, 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 of the carnival culture needs to return to. It's like inclusive. It's access. There's no malice. We, 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 we're protecting one another and we're celebrating one another and we're releasing all of the bitterness and all of the, the, the anger that the system and just the status quo creates in us. Soka allows us to do that and carnival is the time to do that.
boy come right away. Fucking hammer, that's the thing. So now this is waiting for me, they must be.
West Indian storm begins, commencing the people's place. A man in a costume like Edward J. I said, Soka in the palace. We jam in with compromises. If you see me and them princess, this is strictly royal business. like so jolly like it's almost absurd yeah like the, the extent to which it's jolly and like i almost can't even relate i'm like i don't know i don't know this level of happiness fam you know <laughs> yeah you know the best way to describe it and this is like probably the most bro way to describe it you know but when you listen to to dance hall you know or rap as a as a dude right in in, in at an event the default expression is just serious you're serious you know you're reciting the lyrics and you know you're you gangster you know with soca the default expression is just smiling you know it's like if you're not if you're in a soca event and you're not smiling from ear to ear just happy you literally look like a creep people will look at you and be like whoa serial killer over there what's going on you know and I think that's why, you know, your, your reaction is that kind of happiness because it's, that's how it's, it's been composed and arranged to make you feel that way. And it's, 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 it's hard to do. It's not easy, you know? Yeah, it's so effective. But it's also like a particular type of sound that I'm like, I don't even know. It's like a particular type of jolly. It's also, I'm assuming this track was made when? Like early 90s, 80s? Yeah, 80s. Mm -hmm. um, it also kind of resonates so much with what we call bubblegum in South Africa. Mm, okay. Like a lot of politi politicized music was banned during apartheid. And so the only kind of music you could make was kind of what we call like bubblegum music. So it's just like jolly, happy shit. Um, mm. And that's kind of what was like on the airwaves, on the radio waves at the time. And it, for me, I'm like, this is the same WhatsApp group. Like... <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, this music, even though the beat, this song in particular, obviously, is a happy song. That same sound is a vehicle for political commentary and double entendre, you know? So there's, um, you know, for instance, this other song, which could be the song that we end with. Um, it's called The Hammer by David Rudder. 
beautiful song, you know? But it's also a commentary on the state of steel pan in Trinidad. You know, steel pan being something that the youths aren't, you know, youth culture hasn't really adopted as like, oh, this is our thing. David Rudder in 1995 was bringing attention to, you know, not only, you know, the loss of different icons in the community, but also kind of just like what's going on with the state of culture and so on, you know? So, yeah, it's 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 all been to make you happy, but if you really sit back and, and listen to it, you can kind of find that intellectual, yeah, you can find that intellectual emotional aspect that um, is a message that's important. You're coming with me to you coming with me to Trinidad next year. You know, you, Bree, and I, we gotta do what we did in Cuba, 
in Trinidad, you know, and make it and make it and make it happen. You know, outside when it opens back, we just have to do it all. I'm 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 here. I'm here for it, man. <laughs> I think that's a beautiful place to end our conversation. So thank you so much, Adam. Agreed. For um giving us your time and your and your spirit sharing your spirit with us it's super generous of you um and yeah i've learned a lot so thanks so much i know i appreciate it i appreciate you having me i, I enjoyed this a lot thank you so where, where can people find you on the internet you can find me on uh, instagram under foreigner that's with a lot of R's at the end, you know, so just type in foreigner and put in a couple R's and you'll find me at the end. And then uh, you could just check out my website, you know, from foreign.co. That's F-R-O-M-F-O-R-E-I-G-N dot C-O. And uh, all my stuff is up there. Dope. So everyone, check, check um, Adam out. He also has a great um, show on NTS that comes out. That's right, NTS. Um, it's mainly like a mixed kind of format, which is really a good time as well. But yeah, definitely. Until next time, thanks so much. Thank you. Bye, Have a bye, good bye. one. I hope you really enjoyed that. I think the music was super exciting from um, that episode. Um, this episode was produced by myself, Zara Julius, and Adam Cooper. Um, with support from a breathing space grant from Prohibition Johannesburg. Music for this podcast was produced by Bully. If you would like to be part of an outdoor socially distant live taping of the final episode of this season, be sure to go to konjo.co.za to buy a ticket for Talking Drum Live, where you'll get to see a live band led by award-winning drummer Tamil Makarosi um, interpret some of the sounds shared throughout the series. This event will be at Farmhouse at 58 in the Cradle of Humankind on the outskirts of Johannesburg on the 17th of April. So go to concho.ca.za, um, you'll find the links to that event. You will also find all the links to the show notes. Um, and be sure to tune in and subscribe um, for next week's episode. We'll be speaking with Isne Rodriguez Agramonte about the dynamic relationship between African and Cuban music forms. Until then, stay safe. Ciao, ciao.